today we're continuing a series called Show Me It's Real. And we've been saying that today Christians are more known for uh, the the politics that they defend and the beliefs that they proclaim more than the character they possess or uh, the good deeds that they do. This series looks at what true faith looks like and how we can show that it's real. And this morning we're talking about what happens when it doesn't work, when our interaction with the Bible doesn't work and uh, we are finding ourselves in a place that is uh, ineffective in how we are seeking to live the Christian life. Uh, This week I was reading uh, about Eugene Peterson and a hike that he took with his family in Yosemite Park. Some of you will know Eugene Peterson. He's written a number of uh, quite popular books, but he's probably most famous for a paraphrase of the Bible that he did called The Message. Well, he was out for a hike, and he described how his wife and three kids ganged up on him, and when I read that, I was immediately sympathetic. I think it's one of the great trials of being a father to have your family uh, seek to come together, convince you that you're wrong, point out your flaws, and uh, so when he described how that was happening in his life, I leaned in and wanted to learn more. Well, in this particular case, they, they, they were on this hike and they were, they were coming to a, a meadow that was filled with some just gorgeous uh, spring flowers and uh, they were just enjoying the scene, taking it all in. When they saw about uh, 30 meters ahead, there was a four or five-year-old boy who was picking the flowers innocently enjoying the beauty of God's creation, picking them up. Maybe he was collecting them for his mother. I don't know. But uh, Peterson knew that as innocent and wonderful and uh, beautiful a scene as this might be, he knew better. He knew this was wrong. He knew that national parks had strict guidelines about not picking flowers, particularly in a rare alpine setting that they were in. And he was horrified. He realized he had to act, and he had to act decisively. The beauty of God's creation was at stake. The the wonder of this national park was was at stake. There were rules to be upheld. So he looked over, four or five-year-old boy, don't pick the flowers, called out to him. And as he did that, the, the, the boy turned around in shock and horror at this big man who was now yelling at him. He dropped the flowers, started crying, and ran away looking to find his family. It was at that point that Peterson's family got, ganged up on him and pointed out just how wrong he had been. Yes, technically he had been correct that, that mountain flowers are not to be picked in national parks, However, what he had done and how he had gone about it, the way that he had yelled at this boy and the tone that he, would, he had used, they declared was even worse than uh, the boy's very innocent mistake in picking a few flowers for his mother. Peterson had to admit that they were right. This, I believe, is the second of the great trials of being a father recognizing that, the, that this family has got, who has ganged up on you to point out one of your faults is actually in the right and you have to uh, admit you're wrong. Well, 
For me, in addition to the consolation of knowing that I'm not the only one who experiences these kinds of family scenes, uh, this particular incident spoke to me in, my, in, in just how Christians will often get uh, enough of the Bible to point out what's right and wrong, but not enough of the Bible to get God's heart and God's attitude in seeking to bring change. Uh, I, can, I, I still look back with regret about things that I said and did as a new Christian where I was, I knew enough of the enough knowledge of the Bible to point out people's faults and mistakes, but not enough to help them, not enough to save them. And if that's a problem for me, I think maybe it's a problem for fathers. Probably it's a problem for all of us, and those are problems that our passage. Uh, this morning deals with, and so uh, I want to consider them together with you. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to James chapter 1. I'll read from verses 19 to 27 on the Black Church Bibles in the, under the rack in front of you. It's on page 950. James 1, 19 to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God. Now, I'd like to begin, um, before we get into some of the solutions, uh, we need to deal with the dilemma of this passage. So uh, it starts, uh, if, if we could, in verse 26, where it describes a person who is very religious, but they can't control their words. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, we usually talk about bridling a horse. We put a harness on their head, reins that we can then control the direction of their, their head. Uh, James here wants us to picture a bridle somehow attached to a tongue. Obviously, it's not something you can do, but we're, we're kind of getting this picture of, uh, of uh, the, the control that is, uh, should be a part of our speech. And the warning is, it's easy for people and often natural for people to want to throw off the bridle, to, to let our words go without restraint, without control, without thought. But the, the, the message is that when you do that, your religion is no, no longer uh, controlling or guiding what you say. It is no longer informing what comes out of your mouth. It is ineffective. It is meaningless. Here, 
we're, we're, we're trying to picture this person. They're trying to be religious. Uh, they are probably into church. They're into uh, doing things that are Christian, uh, doing things that feel uh, spiritual to them. But their faith isn't effective. It isn't working itself out in how they live. And the problem is that they can't see that. It says they are deceived. So they are blind to what is actually going on. They think that they're killing it. And the reality is that their faith is unproductive and ineffective. How they speak isn't really on their radar. Now hear what James says to them in verse 20. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This actually is not intuitive to us at all. We think that the anger of, of man, uh, our anger, we think it does produce righteousness. So, for instance, with uh, Eugene Peterson, as he angrily yelled at that boy, he had the desired effect. The boy stopped picking the flowers. And so it, it often seems as if our anger produces righteousness, but that is only an apparently uh, seems to have effect. Because as you think of Eugene Peterson and this boy picking the flowers, the boy, the only reason the boy stopped picking the flowers was because he was terrified of this big man yelling at him. Four or five years old, you get uh, some stranger screaming at you, that's going to have some effect. But all, the only effect it had was, this person is scary, I better stop whatever it is I'm doing, he, he, he's, he is liable to clobber me. At no point was he thinking, I'm, I'm in a, a very delicate uh, ecosystem right here, and I better watch out for the, uh, take care of the, 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 the flora that make up this particular uh, setting. He's not learned anything. There hasn't been any transformation take place inside. He has just learned, big angry man, very scary. I better stop what I'm doing and preferably run away. Now, because it's Father's Day, it, we should make some application for parents here. Some, some of this same dynamic plays out in parenting. If your parenting strategy consists um, primarily or only of you yelling and getting really angry at your kids anytime they do something wrong, the scripture says you will not produce the righteousness of God. There will be no inner transformation. And the thing is, it will seem for some time as if you have produced the righteousness of God for the very same reason the boy stopped picking the flowers. A lot of angry yelling, you get a little child gets scared, they start doing or stop doing whatever it is that you have asked them to do. But if that's all you've got, uh, past, uh, as time goes on, the effectiveness of that strategy soon wears out. Uh, Peterson yelling, don't pick the flowers, worked because the child was afraid of him. Give him another decade, and that's no longer the case. You hit the teen years, and this angry parent strategy, its effectiveness has worn out. And besides, how are you going to teach your child about a God who repeatedly describes himself as slow to anger if your primary strategy for getting your child to do what you want is to get angry and be angry a lot? 
To produce God's righteousness as a parent requires patient instruction in God's word, painful consequences for disobedience, and lots of grace, love, and care. Anger is not part of the equation. So, uh, free throwaway for uh, our fathers, our uh, parents today. If that's true for parents, though, in general, verse 19 gives us the application for all of us. Verse 19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The message here is, how do we expect people to listen to us if we're not willing to listen to them? How do we expect to speak with wisdom, grace, and conviction if we don't slow down long enough to think about what is coming out of our mouth and how we are engaging with the people around us? How do you expect to introduce people to a God who is slow to anger if you're getting angry all the time and walking around filled with frustration? And so we're, we're trying to come to terms with what this is saying about how we interact, how we speak, and what comes out of our mouths. Now, some of you are tracking with me so far. You've gotten the idea, religion plus loose cannon equals danger. You're hearing the message, our, our uh, anger doesn't produce God's righteousness. You're putting that all together. And now you're thinking, okay, I think I've got this, Paul, but how on earth do I not get angry all the time and begin to, to control what comes out of my mouth in such a way that I speak with, uh, with patience and uh, grace and God's, uh, uh, with God's heart? And if that's the question you're asking right now, that's the right question. That's the question that the rest of the passage is seeking to answer. And so we're going to turn there now. And what he does is he gives us three pictures of the word of God, helps us to see three roles that the word of God can play in our lives and how we should respond accordingly. The first is this, God's word is implanted in you, do what it says. Here we're, we're, we're coming to terms with the fact that that God has done something uh, unique and profound. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has taken the word of God and put it inside you, and so there is a new possibility for change. Things that weren't possible for you before you came to Christ, things that just weren't on the radar, frankly, if you didn't know Jesus, uh, are now possible. And so God's word is implanted in you, and so we are to do what it says. Now, verse 22 is one of the most famous passages, the famous verses in the whole book. Uh, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It reminds us that we're fooling ourselves if uh, we think that God is somehow pleased with us because we managed to sit in some fairly comfortable chairs uh, for about an hour on, on a Sunday um, that, that somehow some religious act that God is particularly uh, thrilled with. He, he's saying here that only has any value if you are actually responding to uh, what you are hearing. Uh, and so uh, we are called to, to live it out, respond. Now, this is a famous verse, but it's actually the previous verse, verse 21 
that is connected to it that gives the power for this verse. And so you really need to look at them together. Verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, hear, hear it, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Picture for a moment with me if we could go back to that angry person. Maybe it's an angry father. His outbursts are just a part of his DNA. He opens his mouth and isn't really thinking about what comes out because he doesn't find himself able to change what comes out of his mouth. It just is flowing and he can't stop it. When he hears people to say, hears verses like this to uh, be slow to anger, he's like, that just condemns me. That just frustrates me because I can't be uh, slow to anger. That's impossible for me. Well, James is saying, now for a person who has trusted Christ, the, the calculation changes. He's saying, literally, God's will has been surgically implanted inside you. Uh, later in, in other parts of scripture, it will talk about God's law being written on the heart. It is the great promise of the new covenant. And this is how, how under the new covenant, we have such a better and different deal than people had in the arrangement under the old covenant. So for instance, in Jeremiah 31, 33, looking forward to what God would do in this new covenant, it says this, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. God here is promising that there is a day, and it is fulfilled in, uh, in our hearing, in, in our uh, era, where sins like anger that used to be at the core of our being, uh, sins, sins that used to be at the heart of our DNA, and uh, we were fighting against God's commands, like, how on earth can I do that? Uh, that those sins now have become like uh, an old shirt, uh, an old pair of pants that need to be thrown out. That they are no longer uh, at, at the heart and the core of our person and our identity. And the opposite is true. God's word has been implanted in us by the Holy Spirit. We have had heart surgery. There has been this fundamental change. And so the sins that used to be at the core of us now are like old clothing that can be put away. We can take them off. We can put them aside. In fact, in verse 21, when James says, therefore, put away all filthiness, that word put away is the word that's usually used when you were changing your clothes or taking off an old shirt. It's, it's speaking of that language. It's not at your heart anymore. This is not part of your identity anymore. It's just something that needs to be discarded. And the promise is it can be discarded. That anger that used to just bubble up as you would let loose on your words is now something that can be put away. That doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's automatic, but it means that it's attainable. Because God has written the law in our hearts, these sins that used to be central to us are now no longer. And so when we respond with humility to God's word, we can experience his power to put aside things that we were previously unable to put aside, unable to let go of. So being quick to hear, 
slow to speak and slow to anger is, in, is, is within reach. It's possible. And so we're understanding there is a new calculation under the new covenant. There is new possibility. And we are to look to personal change with a sense of hope and expectation, trusting that God can enable us to, uh, to move forward. So the first principle, God's, God's word is implanted in you, so do what it says. The second is this, God's word is uh, like a mirror, and so we are to reflect on what we see. Here we're, we're coming to terms with the fact that God's word is intended to have an impact in our lives, but to help us to see things in, in ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise see. God's word is the story of God, first and foremost, but it is also the story of us. It is, we are intended to see ourselves in light of scripture and so be changed by it. So God's word is a mirror. Reflect on what you see. Look what it says in verses 23 and 24. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, in case you missed it, this is what first century comedy looks like. Picture this person in front of the mirror. Unless you are particularly vain or shockingly um, amazing looking, the reason that most people use a mirror is not just to stare at how wonderful and amazing you look, it's to see what's wrong. You, you, you go in front of a mirror to, to see what needs to be fixed. So maybe some of you were finding yourselves in front of the mirror this morning. Uh, you look in the mirror and you notice there's a little bit of uh, toothpaste on your shirt. You didn't notice that, but you know, thanks to the mirror, that's been pointed out. Uh, you continue to look a little closer and you notice your hair is kind of sticking out one side. You need to kind of take care of that. And uh, as you lean in, what is that? I think there's a little something coming out of my nose. Now, if you've had that good look in the mirror and you've noticed all of those things about yourself and then you smile, walk away, and do nothing about it, that would be awfully strange. Uh, if that was you, in fact, this morning and you came in, um, probably you found some people looking at you. It may, maybe the usher um, tapped you on the shoulder on the way in and they were like, get some coming out of your nose, get some Kleenex, please, like, do something about that. And, and James wants to see, us to see the ridiculousness of that picture. That if, if, you, if that is how you interact and engage with a mirror, then you might as well not have a mirror. It is not being very effective in your life. Now he's saying, if that's how you respond to God's word, it is equally ineffective. God's word is intended for us to see as a mirror to our souls. It's helping us to see our character in light of who God is and who he's called us to be. So this afternoon, for instance, maybe you're heading home. Uh, you can't just get in the car, yell at your kids, ignore your wife, and maybe let go on some other drivers and say to yourself, boy, that message about being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, that was really interesting. I like that one. That was a good one. That, that's the same thing that's happening with the guy in the mirror and the thing coming out of his nose. Not to, you know, this is just not the way you want to handle things. 
And, and so he, he's trying to help us to come to terms with the fact the Bible is a mirror for us. We are to learn from it. We are to be changed by it. And so I would just have you take some, take some time to reflect right now on areas of your life where you have seen something in the mirror of God's word and you know that you have not responded. Areas where God has revealed something and you have chosen to just keep on walking, left that message, you've seen it, and, you know, I'm not going to do anything about it. And, and maybe start right back at the beginning. Like, you know that the Bible calls you to faith in Jesus Christ, and maybe you have just decided, I'm going to just sit that one out. Or maybe, you know, the Bible calls you to express your faith in baptism. And you've decided, mm, I think I'm going to pass on that. Uh, maybe you look at other areas, like reading God's word. You, you know that it, the, the Bible is very clear on the place that God's word is to have in your, in a, in your life. And you've decided, I think I could do without that. I think I could just, you know, scroll my, my feed instead. I, I, I don't think I have time for that. Um, are, are you committed to, to God's people? Are you committed to fellowship? Are you, are, are you serving? Are you giving? Are you sharing your faith? Are you dealing with those areas in your character that you know that God has pointed out in Scripture and having seen it in the mirror, you decided to just walk away shrug and move on. Now, maybe some of you would say, yeah, I, I, I've seen it, I'm working on it, and I, frankly, um, I, 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 I'm, I, I struggle with the fact that I haven't made more progress. And I would say to you, don't be discouraged. I think we all need to recognize whether it's the mirror of God's word or a real mirror, looking in the mirror isn't particularly fun. It's hard work to see yourself and to see yourself clearly. And I think we would say that the Bible isn't always as clear as the mirror is, right? Sometimes the Bible's hard to understand. Sometimes the application is hard to, to make. And sometimes when we seek to respond and and apply, we just, we just struggle with that we can't make more progress. And that's the same thing when we look in, in the other mirror. It's the same thing when you get on a scale. You're like, I wish I could make more progress. I wish it was quicker. And, and so if you find yourself in the fight, in the battle, working on it, uh, I would say uh, be encouraged. Know that God is at work. Know that God is on your side. But I think... Maybe that's not you. Maybe you would say, as I look in the mirror of God's word, I have to admit, I see it, but I'm not really working at it. I'm not really willing to take that step. I'm not really willing to deal with it at all. I really just kind of want to sit and listen and then go home. And if that's you, I think you've heard the scripture say this morning, that is meaningless religion. That, that is the definition of, uh, of, of taking God's word and making it ineffective and useless in your life. And so James' call is to not play games with God, 
to do an honest examination of how you were responding to God and his word. So we started by saying God's word is implanted in you. You do what it says. Then we've said God's word is a mirror. Reflect on what you see. Finally, we come to uh, the, the, uh, the last uh, understanding of God's word. And here it says that God's word is your freedom. Persevere at it. God isn't trying to steal your joy. When we talk about the work that God wants to do in our hearts and lives, uh, we, are, we are not talking about God trying to, to, to ruin us, to constrict us, to stop us. We are, we are understanding that God is at work to change us, but always to change us for the good, and to, to bless us and to help us. Look at verse 20, uh, 25 with me. It says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Anyone start a Bible reading, this, a Bible, Bible reading plan this year, and you got really gung-ho in January, and somewhere along the line, it's June now, and you recognize, I, I kind of gave up somewhere along the line. If that's you, I would just encourage you to put, put verse 25 somewhere where you will see it, where you will read it. Maybe you put it on a bookmark. Maybe you put it on your refrigerator. Um, because it contains both a strategy as well as a motivation for interacting and engaging with the word of God. It starts with the one who looks into the perfect law. And I love this, but this word look into is the exact same word that's used to Peter when he comes to the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. When Peter came to the Easter Sunday empty tomb, he wasn't thinking, oh, that's an empty tomb. Cool. What's for lunch? Like, he, he looked at the tomb and he said, this changes everything that I've, I've understood about Jesus. It's true. He, he responded with wonder and awe. He reflected on, what does this mean for me? What are the implications of this? And that's exactly how we are to read the scriptures. We are, we're looking for God. We're looking for what we can understand about who he is and how he interacts with us. We're, we're looking to understand more about ourselves and what God desires for us. And so we look into uh, the word of God. But you don't just walk away and forget what you heard. So uh, again, he says, you know, we're talking about taking those steps of trust and obedience. And so he says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And we've already uh, covered that ground. But the reality is it can be hard. We've, we've said that, right? This, just because this is now possible doesn't mean that it's easy. Because God has made this attainable doesn't mean that it is without obstacle. And that's why the verse talks about persevering. Don't just try it for a few weeks. Don't just say, I'll give this a go for a few months. We are called to a lifelong commitment to God's word. And we are to, to, to daily engage with it, to make time for him in our schedules, to give priority to him in our lives. But as you do that, don't do it as some heroic religious act. 
Somewhere along the line, Christians developed a habit of calling Bible reading and prayer something called devotions. And I think it's an unhelpful word. Devotion sounds like you were doing something religious and, and heroic for God. It sounds like you're walking on burning coals or something. I'm, I'm doing devotions. And, and I would say, if, if you want to show your devotion, go and, go and uh, forgive, forgive your enemy. Go and love your neighbor. That, if you want to show devotion, you do, do things like that. Reading the Bible is how God sets you free. It's how he blesses you. It's how, it's how you get strength to live. It's how he fills you with wonder of his glory. It's how he fills you with motivation and a heart to follow him. It's, it's not our heroic religious act. It is God's goodness and blessing flowing into us. And so we, we come to the scriptures with a, a completely different mindset. I, I say all of that because verse 25 calls, calls it the law of liberty. It sets you free. God's word is, is intended to give life to your bones, to feed your spirit, to move you to act and to will according to his purposes. So it's... It's very little about what something we're doing for God. Like God saying, oh, I really hope they do their devotions this morning. I'm, I'm missing that. No, we're missing that. We're missing something vital and life-giving every time we decide, I think I could do without it. I think I can just pass on it this week. A man by the name of Emile Caillé was... Uh, he, grew, he grew up in a, a small French village and he served in World War I uh, as a 20-year-old. Uh, as a 20-year-old, he faced, as many people do in the throes of war, uh, some just unbelievable, uh, shocking events uh, transpiring before him. He saw a very close friend uh, shot in the chest, died right in his presence. Uh, he himself was hit by a bullet and had to be carried off of the battlefield and spend uh, close to a year recovering. As he did, and as he was uh, uh, finally able to return uh, uh, post-war to the studies that had been cut short by his service, he returned to his studies with a different mindset. He had experienced some of the worst that life has to offer, and now he was looking for answers. He was studying, but with a desire to really learn something and to come to terms with something. Uh, he found himself longing for what he called a book that would understand me. And he was earnest in his pursuit of that. Despite his studies, he couldn't find one book, and so he decided he was going to make such a book. In fact, he got a, a large leather-bound notebook, and he would, he would bring it to him every time he turned to his books and his studies. If he found an important uh, verse or a, an excerpt, uh, a, a quote, he carefully wrote it into his book, 
And he was convinced that maybe this will answer my questions if I put all of the combined thoughts and, and, and ideas that I come across. It will uniquely speak to me. Finally, the day came when he felt, I think I've neared completion. And he was satisfied that he may have managed to do that. And so he finally sat down to read in its entirety this anthology that he had created. He began to read the book that would understand me. But he was, he was disappointed, and he was disappointed for, for a couple of reasons. One was, as he was reading along, it just he, he could recognize the different places and the times and cir circumstances that caused him to choose this or that particular quote or excerpt. But because he had essentially been the author, it didn't have any impact it couldn't persuade him. It didn't speak to him. And just as it was dawning on him that this had been a failed project, his wife met him and mentioned that she had taken out a French Bible and loaned it uh, from the library. He saw the Bible, and he had never seen one before. He'd never seen uh, the scriptures uh, growing up in France at that time. And he took the book uh, from her and began to read. He said, as I, as I read, began to read in the Sermon on the Mount, reading of the Beatitudes, he said, I felt a warmth in my soul. He continued to read and he experienced awe and wonder. And later he wrote this, suddenly the realization dawned upon me. This was the book that would understand me. I continued to read deeply into the night, mostly from the Gospels. And lo and behold, as I looked through them, the one of whom they spoke, the one who spoke and acted in them became alive to me. I would suggest that that's what God wants for each of us. He wants in the pages of scripture, Christ to become, become alive to us. For us to grow in our knowledge of him. To, to seek to know him, to seek to draw near to him. The goal isn't just for us to look to the rules the way Eugene Peterson in a, in a moment, and we've all had them, pulled out his rules and said, that's wrong, stop picking those flowers. It is to see in the pages of scripture one who knows us, who wants to know us more intimately, and one in, in, in the knowledge of him, we can gain a knowledge of ourselves. None of that can happen, though, if the book remains closed and it sits on your shelf. And so I want to urge you as earnestly as I can to open your Bibles, to take them in your hands, to do the hard work, told us persevere, so it must not be an automatic or, or an easy thing, but to give yourself to the scriptures and to seek the God who wrote them for you. Now, maybe there are some of you this morning who are like Emile Caillé, and you would say, I, I don't think I've ever known Christ like that. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that, the power of God in the scriptures or the Savior that they proclaim. And I would just urge you to start, start 
Maybe you're a young person. I'd say start with the gospel. Start reading through how God reveals himself in, uh, in, the, in the gospels. Maybe you're more like Eugene Peterson was on his hike that day. Uh, maybe you would say, I think I'm kind of angry and religious a lot. I just, maybe it just hasn't seemed to be, there's a lot of activity, but not a lot of transformation. And the good news of the scriptures is, if you have truly put your faith in Christ, he has put his heart and will by his word in you. So change is possible. It's time to take off the old clothes. Time to take off the old habits and the ways of relating to, uh, to him. Just because what you see around you seems to be the pattern, it doesn't mean that you can't step away from it. If you've trusted in Christ, you've had heart surgery, so change is possible. Finally, if we're going to treat God's word like a mirror, we do what we do with other mirrors. We look at it every day. We reflect on what we've seen. We seek to deal with the things that need to be fixed. And as we do, we meet a God who has promised to bless us in that, who, who, who is standing with us in that and desires not uh, merely that we come into conformity, but that we come into his freedom. So let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We would be hopeless and helpless without the written word of God and without the word that you have written on our hearts. Help us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Teach us grace as we see your grace in your word. Teach us love as we see your love in the scriptures. And give us the strength to change. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.